right, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn there with us. Colossians chapter 1, you'll find Colossians New Testament after the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. Church, it's January the 2nd, 2022. And God, Emmanuel, is still with us. (laughs) Isn't that good to know? As we don't know what's going to happen this year in 2022, I mean, we don't know what 2022 holds. I mean, living through the last couple of years and maybe out of an abundance of caution, you might be thinking, you know what, I'm I'm, going to skip seeing 2022 in the theaters I'm going to wait for it to come out on network television with all the bad stuff bleeped out, right? Wouldn't it be great to see 2022 with no bad stuff bleeped out? Well, as we have entered into this new year and we're preparing to be all in in 2022, there's a lot we may want to know about this year in relation to the economy, in relation to the CDC guidelines in relation to uh, housing markets and maybe our career and cars and relationships and new tax codes and all the there's a lot we may want to know but what do we need to know in 2022 today we start verse by verse through the book of Colossians in a series entitled Jesus plus nothing Jesus plus nothing. It's an appropriate theme because in these 95 verses, in these four chapters of this little letter, Jesus is referred to 65 times in 95 verses. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus are featured in, this, in, in the pages of this penetrating epistle that was penned by the Apostle Paul. And, and, and here's the question. The question is, why should I care about this study? Why, why should I invest my time and invest uh, my attention into what the Spirit said to the church at Colossae? And why should I invest my attention and invest my time in, in being interested in what the Spirit has to say to the church here in Chattanooga, Hamilton County, and beyond? Well, there are some questions that this little letter tackles that may be of interest to you. Questions such as, what is reality? What is really real? Uh, Who or what are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Is there such a thing as morality? I mean, can we know what is right? Can we know what is wrong? Can we know what is good? Can we know what is evil? And if so, how? What is the meaning of history? What is wrong with us? You know, something's off, right? (laughs) What is it that's wrong with us? Is there a solution? Apparently not on the federal level, but is there a solution? Can this be fixed? And if so, by whom? Who can fix it? Is there a God? Can this God, if there is one, can he be known? Uh, Is he involved in this world? 
But what happens at death? These questions and much, much more are tackled right here in this little letter. You see, Paul wrote this letter called Colossians uh, to a new church in Colossae where some false teachers had infiltrated the church and they would begin teaching what they wanted the people to know. Paul comes along and tells them what they needed to know. And he tells us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit what we need to know. So that's the question today as we look at verse 1 and 2. What do you need to know in 2022? You're going to find out today what you need to know in the year 2022 in Colossians 1 verse 1 and 2. So if you're there, say I'm there. All right, let's look at it together. Verse 1, I'm going to read these two verses, then we'll unpack them together. So here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, hmm. and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Father, we pray that you would be honored and pleased by the reading, the receiving, and the response to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Our big idea today, the takeaway, the sermon in a sentence, the essence of the sermon in a statement. Here it is. Uh, You need to know (laughs) that knowing Jesus is essential. When you look at the year 2022 and what's going to happen and what's not going to happen and we think about all these things, you need to know this. You need to know that knowing Jesus is essential. It's not optional if you want to know what life is truly about and the life that God wants you to experience, then knowing His Son Jesus is essential. And so I want to give you three warnings right out of these two verses. And the three warnings have to do with knowing Jesus. And here's the first warning. Claiming to know Jesus is never enough. Many people claim to know Jesus, but that's never enough. You may claim to know Alexa, right? And you may know what Alexa can do for you. Play a song, tell you the weather, whatever Alexa can do. But Alexa's not going to invite you over for dinner, right? I mean, you can tell Alexa take down the Christmas decorations, it's probably not going to happen. Right? Do you, knowing someone's name is not the same as knowing them. Knowing Jesus' name is not the same as knowing Him. There's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus. For example, Mormons claim to know Jesus. But Mormon doctrine also claims that Jesus was created through this sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Okay, Mormons hold that Jesus' death on the cross does not provide atonement for sin. Mormons do not know Jesus. They claim to, but they don't know Him. They're not a trusted source when it comes to the truth about Jesus. And if we're going to know Him, we've got to have a trusted source. Mormons are not that trusted source, and their theology is not. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do not know Jesus. They claim to know Jesus, but their doctrine also claims that Jesus is not God. They claim that before Jesus lived on earth, he was Michael the archangel. And they deny the resurrection of Jesus. They do not know Jesus. They claim to know him, but they don't know him. Muslims claim to know Jesus, but they don't know him. The Islam doctrine claims that Jesus was a prophet, not the Son of God, and he was not crucified. They claim to know Jesus, but they don't know him. Uh, Buddhists claim to know Jesus, 
but they don't know him. Their doctrine claims that Jesus was an enlightened man, only an enlightened man. They, they, they claim they know him, but they don't know him. They're not a trusted source of truth concerning Jesus. Hindus claim to know Jesus, but they also claim, their doctrine does, that Jesus was this avatar. They claim that his death does not atone for our sins, and he was not raised from the dead. They claim to know him, but they don't know him. These are not trusted sources. A CNN anchor last year, Don Lemon, I think, claimed to know Jesus, but he also claimed that Jesus was not perfect. Again, there's many people and many groups and many religions that claim to know who Jesus was and claim to know, but they don't know him. So if we're going to know Jesus, we've got to have a trusted source of the truth about Jesus. Is Paul the Apostle such a source? Can he be trusted? Well, let me encourage you to consider Paul's career, former career, before he came to faith in Christ. Paul was Saul. (laughs) I call him Saul the assassin. He was a faithful uh, follower of the Jewish, Jewish faith. He was faithful in that. He was trained by the most famous rabbi of the day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and, and he thought Jesus was a fraud, and Jesus was leading people away from Judaism. And so he decided he was going to stamp out Christianity, and so he persecuted believers. He imprisoned them. He, 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 he persecuted them. He even voted for them to be executed. In other words, Paul had no vested interest in writing this letter until he encountered the living Christ. Until on the road to Damascus, he was converted to Christ. And you can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And that's the second trusted source we point to is Paul's conversion. Paul was headed to Damascus for one reason. To find more Christians, more followers of Christ. To lock them up. To persecute them. And on the way, Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul was shocked. He said, wait a minute, this guy that I thought was a lunatic and a liar, he is indeed Lord? He really is the Son of God? He really is the Savior of the world? He was shocked. He believed in Jesus. He was changed. He began to follow him. And that leads us to Paul's calling, his commissioning. Paul says here, an apostle of Christ Jesus in verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. He was not a part of those 12 who followed Jesus from the beginning. He was a latecomer to the apostolic circle, but he did see the resurrected Christ. Yes, he did on the road to Damascus, and he was appointed as an apostle. He didn't volunteer for that role. (laughs) No man nominated him for that role. Christ appointed him as an apostle to the Gentiles, to take the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's why he established churches. He was given this foundational position of being an apostle to teach and preach the truth of God's Word and establish churches. His calling, his career, his conversion all point to the fact that we can trust what Paul has to say or what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through Paul. We can trust Paul. He's a trusted source of truth. We know this because of his commitment. I mean, come on. Look at Paul's commitment. Look at his resume of suffering for the call and commitment he had to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I was beaten numerous times. He was imprisoned. 
He's actually in prison while writing this letter. He received the 40 lashes, less one, and he felt every one of them, I guarantee you, as they tore flesh from his body. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in danger in, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers. He was in danger from, uh, from, from his own brethren. He was hungry and thirsty. He did without. He was in cold and exposure. and All for his commitment to Christ. So his commitment, his calling, his conversion, all these things point to the fact that yes, Paul is a trusted source of truth when it comes to the Lord Jesus. If any human being who's ever lived was a trusted source of truth concerning Christ, it is Paul the Apostle. If it's anybody, it's him. Paul has been appointed as an apostle, one who is sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul had this to say about his own apostleship. Listen to this. Last of all, this is 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, Paul says, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace toward me, this grace toward me, was not in vain. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then he makes this statement. Look at this, verse 1. By the will of God. Not by the will of Paul. Paul did not appoint Paul to be an apostle. Peter did not appoint Paul to be an apostle. John did not appoint Paul to be an apostle. The Jerusalem church did not appoint Paul to be an apostle. The devil, demons, demonic forces did not appoint Paul to be an apostle. No man, woman, boy, or girl appointed Paul to be an apostle. Paul was appointed by God himself, by the will of God. Oh, that's so important. Is Paul bragging here? Is he boasting here? Is Paul making it about Paul here? No, here's what Paul's doing. Paul understood that this church had false teachers that were teaching them false teachings and they needed to understand that Paul is a trusted source of truth. They needed to know that. We need to know that today. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. You know, no one has ever written greater things about the Lord Jesus Christ than what Paul has written in the book of Colossians. There are great, great things written about our Savior, our King, the Lord Jesus in this little letter. Don't take this little letter lightly. Don't. Paul's conversion, his call, his commitment... All points to the fact that we can trust him. But there's another one I want you to see. Look at the end of verse number one. And Timothy, our brother. <laughs> you know, Paul had this ability. Uh, this, this balance in his life. That he loved God and he loved people. Paul was a people person. You know, you, you've heard it, heard it said, you know, that, that pastor or this pastor, that pastor, he's, he's a great preacher, but, but he's not such a great pastor. Or you've heard it said, man, he's a great pastor, but he's not such a great preacher. You know, you, you, you've heard that 
used before. Well, Paul had this ability that, 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 that he, he, he had both. He, he loved God. He loved God's Word. And, and he loved God's people. It was this incredible balance that he had. I want you to imagine what's happening here on the pages of this letter. Paul is writing the very living Word of God. He is writing it down. And billions upon billions upon billions of people are going to come to faith in Christ and have come to faith in Christ through this letter. (laughs) And he's writing this. And as Paul's writing it, he he pauses and says, Hey, Timothy, come here. Hey, Timothy, I want you to put your name right next to my name. Put your name here. Paul's not making it about Paul. He says, hey, Timothy, put your name right here. What Paul, Paul's giving away his ministry. That's what Paul's doing. He's giving it away. He loved people. Oh, he loved people. Uh, you read his letters in the New Testament, and there's just these names of people that we don't know anything about. But he included them because he loved them. He's got all these people's names. You know, Paul is, maybe this was you on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. If you sent out a group text at midnight saying Happy New Year, then you qualify for church discipline. (laughs) Amen? Well, that's Paul. He loved all these people. And he let them know he loved them. And he's sending them all these texts all the time, these letters. He just, and he includes them all. And it's like group, group texting. He loved people. And he says, Timothy, our brother. And I love the pronoun our there because it includes you and it includes me. The family of God. Paul is including us who have put our faith in Christ. Timothy, our brother. And Timothy ministered to Paul while in prison. So listen, these are not actions of people who claim to know Jesus but really don't know him. Paul giving away his ministry, Paul including Timothy and us and you and me and all these people Paul loved, these are actions of a person who knew Jesus. Timothy ministering to Paul while he's in prison, these are not actions of people who just claim to know Jesus. They know him. It reminds me of a, a church It was established in 1809. It was established 102 years before this church was established. 1809. That church was established in Philadelphia, one of the first African-American churches in America. Uh, The church was called, when it was initially established, First African Baptist Church. 1809. Hear that date? Somebody say 1809. 09. Well, you can read the history of that church, and, and later in her history, there were two members of that church, two members of First African Baptist Church, years later, who made a decision to sell themselves into slavery to free a particular slave to be the pastor of that church. Those are not actions of people who are claiming to know Jesus. Those are actions of people who know Him. 
So here's the question after this first warning. Do your actions, are your actions reflecting that you know Jesus or that you just claim to know Him? That's between you and the Lord. Second warning here that we can deduce from Colossians chapter 1 verse 2. The second one is knowing about Jesus is never enough. Knowing about Jesus is never enough. Claiming to know Jesus is never going to be enough. Knowing about Jesus, merely knowing about Him, that's never enough. Paul says it like this. I love verse 2. Verse 2 really speaks to the church. And I love the local church. I hope you love the local church. I certainly do. And here's what it speaks of about the local church. To the saints and faithful brothers. That tells us who we are. Who are we? Saints and faithful brothers. Secondly, it says of the church, whose we are. Whose are we? Who do we belong to? Look what it says. In Christ, we belong to Him. And thirdly, it tells us where we are. At Colossae. This was a group of believers who gathered at this real place in a church in a place called Colossae. This is where they gathered. This is where the church, the Colossian believers would gather. You know, I love dad jokes. That's no secret. They're, they're bad jokes. Not dirty jokes, but lame, you know. What do you call it when Batman skips church? Christian Bale. Don't be a Christian who... See, that's terrible, isn't it? Don't be a Christian who bails, right? You see, part of being the church is being at church. That's not all of it, but that's part of it. And I want to challenge you in 2022, if you've not yet come back to church, and you're able to come back to church, we'd love to see you. We need you. You need us. We're still going to worship online, of course, because our reach goes beyond Hamilton County, and we're still going to do that, of course. But, man, Paul anticipated this letter being read to a group of believers gathered together in a place. So let me encourage you, if you're able to, Come back. Tells us who we are. Saints and fellow are faithful brothers. Whose we are in Christ. Where we are. At Chattanooga, at Red Bank, at Hickson, at Signal, at Hamilton County, wherever we might be. Wherever you are worshiping online. That is who you are and where you are. To the saints. What does the word saint mean? What is a saint? Is a saint a person that has reached some pinnacle of excellence in his or her character (laughs) is that a saint is a saint one who has reached some excellence of character is a saint one that's been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church and painted on a stained glass window and their relics are either worshipped or uh, given credit for miracles is that what a saint is what does the New Testament say a saint is A saint is simply this, according to the Word of God, a saint is a sinner saved by grace. Amen? (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. Yeah, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. Now, you know that doesn't mean you've reached some excellence of character, right? Not at all. But in Christ, positionally, this is speaking positionally, your position is in Christ. 
you are in him. If you have come to faith and trusted in the work he did for you on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, if you've received him as your savior, if you put your trust and faith in him, then you are in Christ. You are a saint. The process of sainthood, according to the Vatican, is a long process. According to the Vatican, to be a saint, the Roman Catholic Church, you have to live this life of extraordinary asceticism, which is self-denial at the nth degree. Just denial of self, completely, totally. It helps if you can perform some miracles in your time on earth. If not, when you die. And remember, all saints, you can't be a saint unless you're dead. So they go to purgatory and they kind of make up for their sin some kind of way, try to get out of purgatory. And, 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 and they're studied by this inquiry. Uh, this group of people are put together and they study whether this dead saint is performed. They have to do two miracles as a dead saint before you can become a saint. And they study that and see is this a verifiable 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 miracle or not and they study that and at some point enough people say okay this this person qualifies to be a saint and the pope has to recognize them as a saint and then and then people begin to pray to these saints which says the saint is omniscient and omnipresent because they're hearing all these prayers from all these people listen the bible knows of no such saint and in the roman catholic doctrine uh, they can even in fact, not too long ago, according to Time Magazine, they had a purging of the saints. So some of the saints that used to be saints years ago, they're no longer saints. In Christ, if you're in Christ, you will always be a saint. You can never lose that. You can never lose your sainthood in Christ. Because once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Again, the Bible knows of no such saint According to the Vatican, the Bible knows of no such saint that is one who has achieved excellence in character. No, a saint is a sinner saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, a believer, a child of God. These are saints. Positionally, we're in Christ. Then Paul speaks of practically what does that look like. He calls us faithful brethren, faithful brothers. This is practically, you live out your faith. Positionally, you're in Christ. Jesus did all of that for you. You did nothing to be in Christ. He did it all. But once you're in Christ, then you have the responsibility of living practically. What does that look like? Faithful brothers. What does that mean? That you should live by faith, not by fear, not by sight, but by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That every year in 2022, uh, your victory over sin should be greater than your victory over sin in 2021. That you should live and keep abiding in Christ and serving Him and living for Him and being faithful unto Him. Positionally, practically. It's who we are. And then we see whose we are. We are in Christ, man. And then we see where we are at Colossae. Listen, I love Chattanooga. Amen? How many people love Chattanooga? If I knew about Chattanooga 20 years ago, I'd have been here 20 years ago. Love Chattanooga. One thing I like about Chattanooga are all the seasons, right? You get to see winter, spring, fall, summer. I didn't think we'd all get to see it in one day. (laughs) But we will today. We'll see all of those today. But I love Chattanooga. It's the place where God has called me and my family 
to be a part of his church at this place for such a time as this. And we love being a part of this church. Same for those in Colossae. That they were written this letter from Paul. The Colossians gathered at this place. Now, Paul makes a strong point here. We're in Christ, but we're still on earth, right? We, we don't immediately go to heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. In fact, Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen? <laughs> we have a heavenly citizenship. But we're not there yet. Why? Wow, there's work to do here. We need to make known that knowing Jesus is essential. This is what we're here to do, to make this known. And so wherever we are, wherever your at is, that's why you're still here. So don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. And don't be so earthly minded that you forget about your heavenly citizenship. Again, we have to have this balance, right? And so Paul says, he writes this to a particular church at a particular time for a particular reason. What's the reason? Gnosticism. This is an early form of Gnosticism, which that word just comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So the Gnostics believed that they had this superior knowledge, that they were in the know. And they had to help the lesser Christians. They had to help these Colossian Christians. They browbeat them and they led them astray. And they told them, Jesus is not enough. You can start there, but he's not enough. Because at the core of their belief, Gnostics believe that any kind of matter, physical matter, is evil. And since God is holy and creation is evil... Jesus could not be the Son of God because He could not put on flesh because holiness cannot coexist with evil. And so they came up with this elaborate surrogate God solution in their minds that God made these thousands of gods that would each get a little further away from God. And at some point in time, these gods that were getting further away from God were evil enough to, to create the world. And so God put these thousands of gods to do this. Because he cannot touch creation. Because it's evil and he's holy. And so they came up with this elaborate system. Which they taught, yes you can start with Jesus. But you have to have knowledge to be saved. And you have to reach this pinnacle of knowledge. And so you've got to add to Jesus mysticism. And you have to add to Jesus asceticism which Paul speaks of later in this letter and you have to add to Jesus Judaism and you have to add all these isms and you have to add some elements of Christianity but you have to add all these works in order to be saved and Paul's livid he's livid so he writes this letter see these Gnostics they knew about Jesus but they didn't know him. See, we live in a culture today that feeds that notion. Feeds it. We live in a culture today that tells you and tells me that we know people that we really don't know. You can go on social media and you can learn about your favorite celebrity, athlete, Star, you can learn all kinds of things about them. Their family, their children, their birthdays, their favorite this, their favorite that, their favorite that, their favorite this. And the world tells you, you know them. And you don't know them at all. <laughs> you don't know them at all. And that's bled over into the church. 
Church is full of people who know all about Jesus, know about his miracles, know about his healings, know about his birth and his crucifixion and his resurrection, but you have never met Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. And again, that's between you and the Lord. So knowing about Jesus is never enough. Here's the third warning. We find it in verse 2, the last part of verse 2. Not knowing Jesus is never enough. So claiming to know Jesus, that'll never be enough. Knowing about Jesus is never enough. And this sounds elementary, of course, but not knowing Jesus is never enough. At a meeting with the Governor's Association, President Biden said, look, there's no federal solution to this Omicron variant. COVID is what they were discussing. This gets solved at the state level, the president said. And therein lies the huge problem, isn't it? (laughs) Here's our problem. Mankind, we have the problem before we have the solution. But God is different. God had the solution way before we had the problem. (laughs) He is the solution. And we see it in verse 2. Look at it. Grace to you and peace. From who? From the CDC? No. From who? From God our Father. Yes, grace to you and peace. Not from man. But from God our Father. Not God our judge. God our Father. God our Father. Grace to you in peace. These are two kingdom words. I love these two words. You can think about these words as being the twin blessings from God the Father. They're twins. Now one always comes before the other one. You'll never have peace until you experience grace. Grace always comes first. Grace is the root of We're saved by grace alone. And grace is this unmerited favor. Grace is that God has intervened on our behalf. Wow. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. God has done it all on his own. For you and for me. He's laid down his life for us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So grace is the root. And then peace is the fruit of the root. Peace is the byproduct of grace. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of a virus. It's the presence of Jesus in the midst of the trouble and in the midst of the virus. And when you have this true peace, you have peace with God. You have the peace of God. You only get that through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Hey, church if God so loved the world who gave us permission not to love the world see God he loves you (laughs) He, he forgives you he secures you and sustains you and protects you and provides for you and he brings you to heaven when you die he is God our father grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So what's going to happen in 2022? Well, a lot of things will change, but some things will never change. Angels will still be worshiping in 2022. Believers will still be believing. 
Christ will still be calling. Demons will still be trembling. Death is, will still be approaching. The devil will still be running out of time in 2022. What's going to happen? Well, in 2022, eternity will still be looming. Faith will still be catching. God will still be flexing. Heaven will still be beckoning. Hell will still be waiting. These things are not going to change. Time will be fleeting. But the Word of our God will ever be proclaiming you need to know that knowing Jesus is essential. Not claiming to know Him. Not knowing about Him. But knowing Jesus is essential. And you need to know. Listen, knowing Jesus is... It's not artificial, it's not hypothetical, it's not detrimental to know Jesus. To know Jesus is not mechanical, it's not superficial, it's not trivial, it's not universal, it's not awful, it's not gloomful, it's not regretful, it's not wasteful, it's not vengeful, it's not uneventful. But knowing Jesus is essential. It's essential. And this world will tell you you know people that you really don't know. Don't let that Enter into your heart. Say, hey, you, you, you know about Jesus, that's enough. All you have to do is claim to know Jesus and that's enough. No, it's not enough. Are you in Christ or are you not? That's the question. Are you in Christ or are you not? Are you a saint? All that means is you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. Uh, by trusting in his work on the cross and his death and burial and his resurrection, have you received him? Are you a saint? Or are you an ain't? You just think you know him. Or you claim to know him and you really don't. So let me challenge you to search your heart and ask yourself that question. Some of you are saints. You are in Christ But the last two years, you hadn't lived like it. It's time to start living like you are a saint. I don't mean some kind of excellent character, which God certainly wouldn't frown on that. But what I mean is you need to live like you're a sinner saved by grace, forgiven. And make known that knowing Jesus is essential. That's part of being a saint. You've got to let other people know. That's why we're still here. Some of you don't know him yet. You've not met him. Maybe you're in person. Maybe you're worshiping online. Let me, let me get everybody to stand up if you're in person. and Let me encourage you to search your heart right now and ask the question, am I in Christ? Do I know him? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you that. He'll do that. The Holy Spirit will do that. Ask him to do that. If you're not in Christ, if you've not met him, it's simple to do so. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and just pray this simple prayer. If that's you that says, you know what, I I I thought I know Christ, but I don't. I I know about Him, but I've never met Him. Then you just admit, say, just pray something like this between you and the Lord. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died in my place to pay the penalty of my sin. I believe He was buried and raised to life. And today I invite Him into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to follow you as Lord. Help me. Save me. Forgive me. Hey, if you have the right heart and you ask the Lord 
He will save you. So ask Him. And then tell us. You can text Jesus to 79969. If you want to let us know you've trusted Christ today. Or if you have questions about trusting Him. And you want to talk to somebody about that. You text the name Jesus to 79969.